Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. This week, we're joined by teaching pastor Ian Simpkins as we continue the series, Awaken. If you'd like prayer, simply text PRAY to 630-793-6399. Our prayer team is standing by and ready to pray for you. Remember, you can always find us on Sundays streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there. Hey everyone, welcome. My name is Ian Simpkins and today is especially heavy for me because this will be my last time as teaching pastor here at Community Christian. And I I just, I wanted to say a couple of things. One, um, being a part of this family has been one of the greatest joys of my life and leaving this family is going to be one of the most difficult things that I think we've ever done, but I I just wanted to say directly how grateful we are for all of you and for your prayers and your notes and your love. We love this church and this community and we love being on mission with you and we're gonna miss you all so, so much. So with that, um, for one last time, I'd love for you to assume this posture, wherever you're watching from, it's a posture both of letting go It's also a posture of receiving. God, whatever it is you have for me today, God, I I receive. So with this posture, let's go before God together. God, thank you that wherever we're at right now, you are in our midst. God, awaken us to that reality. No matter where we're at, God, you are near, you are close, and you are loving us and pursuing us day after day after day. We thank you, God. We love you so much. And we pray all these things in the beautiful healing name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. Uh, Have you ever been entrusted with something that felt like so important that you were like overwhelmed with the responsibility of it all? Uh, This guy especially has. Well, okay, so not actually this guy, but he's really important to the story. His name is Harry Winston, And in the 50s, he became pretty famous around New York City for becoming like the king of jewelry. And the reason he was called the king of jewelry was mostly because of his massive diamond collection. In fact, in 1958, he donated the Hope Diamond to the Museum of Natural History in Washington, D.C. And just so we're all clear, the Hope Diamond is 45.5 carats and it's worth more than $300 million. So like just slightly nicer than the ring that I got my wife when we got engaged. I think we can all agree that owning a diamond like that is amazing, let alone donating it, right? But that's actually not even the most important part of the story. Do you know how Mr. Winston got this diamond from New York City to Washington, D.C.? In the mail, in one of these. (laughs) That's right. He took this 45.5 carat, $300 million diamond, placed it in an envelope, bought a few stamps, handled it to the mailman and said, take this to DC. (laughs) Can you even imagine what that must have been like? Like personally, I'm nervous to even send gift cards in the mail, let alone a $300 million diamond. 
I, in fact, I actually found an interview with the mailman and they were asking him to reflect on this whole experience. And one of the phrases that kind of stood out to me, they asked him, what was it like to deliver the package like that? And his response was, I just didn't want to lose it, <laughs> which is sort of like, yeah, you think? But throughout the entire interview, though, he, he kept using a couple of phrases over and over again. He kept talking about both the privilege, but also the weight and responsibility of having to deliver something like that. In fact, it made me think of another image we saw recently here when vaccines were being packaged in Michigan for the first shipment out to the United States. What must have been like to, to be one of those drivers? Do you think they felt perhaps a little bit like this mailman? Just aware, cognizant of the significance of what they were transporting. When it comes to the mission that Jesus has given us, Every single one of us has been entrusted with something way more valuable than any diamond. And it's been entrusted to you and to me. The, the extraordinary has been entrusted to the ordinary. And the question that I have for us today is, are we awakened to that? Are we aware of what's been entrusted to us? We're in week four of our series called Awaken. And, and during this series, we're asking God to open our eyes so that we don't drift through this next year. We started with what's called 21 days of prayer and fasting. And it's not too late for you to join us, by the way. I can't encourage you enough, if this is your first time hearing about it, to join us for the remaining days of our prayer and fasting. But we believe that God is calling all of us to focus on our mission of helping people find their way back to God. That's why we exist as a community. God has entrusted us to carry that mission into the world. And so for this whole series, we've sort of landed in the gospel of Luke, specifically chapter 10. And there's, here's sort of where we've been. In week one, we asked that God would awaken us to the people that God has placed around us. Week two, we were leaning into God's presence, pursuing intimacy with God, closeness with God. Last week, we talked about our purpose, being awakened to our purpose of being sent out by God wherever we may be. Okay, so we've been sent, but some of us might be left thinking, okay, but now what? Like, what, what do I actually do with that? In fact, my guess is we probably have all sorts of different ideas and pictures of what it means to be a sent people, what it means to carry out the mission of Jesus. Some of you, perhaps you pictured a missionary in some remote village somewhere. Maybe you pictured like a, like a slick-haired televangelist. Maybe you pictured like a, like a street preacher, someone holding a, a less than encouraging sign on the, on the corner somewhere. Personally, how I was trained as a child to carry the mission forward was we were given these clipboards and we would go to the mall and we would walk up to strangers and just pretty much shout at them, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you're going? Which that like really warmed people up. So imagine me, 13, 14, 15 years old, just walking up to strangers at the mall, asking them where they're gonna go when they die. I remember one time in particular, a guy just turned around and growled at me. It was like not the best moment of my life. Many of us, I think, were handed versions like that and they've perhaps left you feeling like unsure if you even want to be a part of that. If you're there today thinking, I don't even know that I want to be a part of carrying the mission forward. Let me just first say, I get it. I've been there myself. 
So, so what does carrying the mission actually look like? Well, like I mentioned, we're in Luke chapter 10. I'm gonna begin just reading verse one and two. It starts by saying, after this, which by the way, after this comes after some pretty intense words from Jesus. I encourage you to read them. After this, the Lord appointed, hold on to that word, appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So a couple of things that I really love about that passage there. Um, he's sending out the 72 and he uses the word here, appointed. He appointed them. They weren't like randomly selected. Jesus sought them out specifically to carry the mission forward. The first thing I really want us to realize today is that we've been entrusted with the mission. I hope we feel the weight and gravity of that today. We've been entrusted with the mission. Now, the first thing that stands out to me about this mission that we've been entrusted with just in these first two verses is the significance of prayer. Jesus looks around his world and we can look around our world and we can see that the need is great. And Jesus says, ask the Lord, pray. Prayer isn't some sort of fancy rhythm or formula. It's just simply conversation with God. It's both speaking, but it's also, is listening. And I don't know about you, after the last year that we've had, like doesn't prayer feel like the right place to start? To hit pause on all of the stuff that's going on in our lives, even the good things and say, God, reveal to me what's mine to do here and now. So the, the question I, I gotta ask, do we pray for the harvest? Is that the thing that we pray for. When we look around, when we turn on the news, when we hop on social media, the need is great. Do, do we pray for the harvest? My prayer for us is that that awareness would lead us to deeper intimacy with the Father. When we look around and see the chaos and unrest in the world, the need for the harvest, that that would lead us to greater closeness with God. The second thing I see is the significance of mission. What, what comes next, I believe, is exactly why prayer is so important when it comes to carrying the mission forward. In verse three, it says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Now, <laughs> I grew up in the burbs, but I know enough to know that a fight between a lamb and a wolf is a lopsided match. Like, could you imagine Jesus is gathering this crowd, right? He's about to send them out two by two and uh, he's preaching this message. He's saying all these inspiring things. He says, now go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Like if I was in the crowd, I could see myself being like, uh, I know why the workers are few, Jesus. Like, not a particularly encouraging message. But Jesus, I think, is speaking to something really important about the mission, that it's difficult and sometimes it's downright dangerous. It means we're going to have conversations that don't always go how we planned. It means we're going to pray for neighbors and loved ones who may never actually come to church with us. It means our social status may suffer. Our careers may not be up and to the right, 
People may leave or walk away. Jesus wants us to understand that sometimes it's difficult and sometimes it's downright dangerous. Now, I wanna say this as gently and pastorally as I can, but the truth is this, if the mission doesn't cost us, I'm not sure we actually understand the call. Reformer Martin Luther put it this way. He says, a religion that gives nothing costs nothing and suffers nothing is worth nothing. Jesus promises over and over and over again that he is with us, but he never promises that it will be easy. He says, sometimes it will be difficult. Sometimes it will be dangerous. Personally, that, that just hits me hard. Like I feel that in the season that my family and I are in right now. We're trusting where God is leading us, but it feels so difficult. So many uncertainties. Now, the the third thing, the third detail we see here is the message. We proclaim the kingdom of God with our life and our lips. Look at just verse nine here. Jesus says, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Like who doesn't need to hear that, right? The kingdom of God has come near. Jesus over and over and over again proclaims this message. The kingdom of God is closer than you might think. And the people who are closest might surprise you. That's what Jesus keeps saying over and over again. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Who doesn't need to hear that? But then he goes on, verse 10a. He says, but when you enter a town and are not welcome." Again, this is Jesus reminding us things won't always be rosy. Things may not always go as we planned. Wouldn't it be better if every person that we shared the hope of Jesus with just repented and they were baptized and they went home and they just burned all their Nickelback CDs? Wouldn't that be so much better? I'm sorry, I just needed to get one more in there. We, we know that's not the case, right? We know that it won't always go that way, but here's the interesting part. The interesting part about this passage is that Jesus tells his followers that even when you're not welcomed in that city, to still proclaim. Even when they say, thanks, but no thanks. I'm not interested. Still reveal to them the kingdom of God that has come near, that there is hope and healing for a hurting world. We keep on loving. Thomas Merton says, our job is to love without stopping to inquire whether or not they're worthy. We keep loving, we keep forgiving, we keep pursuing, even when it's difficult, even if we're rejected. I think we know that we can't control whether or not someone believes, whether they accept the message or not. Honestly, the conviction that I feel is that that's God's part. It's not our job to make people believe, to force them to accept is to trust that God is doing a work even when we can't see it. What we can control though, friends, is that our life matches our message. Dr. Neil Anderson once said, people may not always live what they profess, but they will always live what they believe. Do do our lives match our message? Do they match the things that we post online? 
that we say in close quarters with these friends around those people. Here's, here's what I found to be true. People often need to know if they can trust us well before they're ever asking if they can trust Jesus. Do our lives match our message? And I think the greatest gift that we bring is a life that reveals the kingdom of God here and now. Not perfectly, we'll stumble and fall and make mistakes, but do our lives match our message? Carrying this treasure, it's not loud, it's not boisterous, it doesn't force its way on people. It's often characterized by like humble, lowly actions. It's visiting a sick friend. It's an anonymous act of generosity. It's a prayer with a hurting neighbor. It doesn't brag. It isn't boisterous and loud and braggadocious. It's humble and lowly and often very, very quiet. So the question I want us to grapple with today is would people closest to us say, that our life matches what we say, what we post, what we share? That's a humbling question. I think all of us would do well, especially in this season, to not make a point at the expense of making a difference. That temptation for the mic drop, hot take, whatever it is, I, I get it, but let's not make a point at the expense of making a difference. Change is what we're about, helping people find their way back to the God who sees them and knows them and loves them. Now, the last thing I see about this particular mission is urgency. Jesus, speaking of those who would reject the message, says this in verse 12. He says, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Now, without getting into it, things didn't go great for Sodom. I imagine most of us are pretty aware of that. And that doesn't mean that we need to then start standing on a street corner with some kind of sign, but it, it does mean, I think, that we should have a holy sense of urgency. I think that we all know we are not guaranteed tomorrow at all. That that last breath that you just took into your lungs, that's a gift. This is about eternity and it's personal. It's personal because it's our, our friend, our family member, our neighbor, our coworker. It's someone that we know and someone we love, someone that we deeply want to experience the hope and love of Jesus, of a God who would rather die than live without us. We should carry that sense of urgency. Wherever we're at, wherever we go, whatever our wiring or makeup might be, Here's some really good news though. Jesus doesn't simply commend us with this great responsibility. He actually both entrusts and empowers. He doesn't just sort of give us this charge and say, hey, hey best of luck to you. For example, in Acts chapter one, one of my favorite passages before his ascension, he says this to these first Christ followers, but you will receive, what's the word? 
power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says we're to be his witnesses. You can't be a witness and a prosecuting attorney. It's not our job to convince them or convict them, but to bear witness by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm giving you the power that you need. Arguably, no one understood this better than the Apostle Paul, and he wrote this to the church in Corinth. He says, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. Does that describe how anyone else feels sharing their faith with others? My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's, what's the word? Power. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We need God's power. Paul knows that persuasive words, clever ideas only carry us so far. In fact, in a letter to the church in Rome, Paul reminds these first Christ followers that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead resides in us. Christ followers, do we realize that? Are we awakened to that? The same power at the resurrection lives within us, even amidst our trepidation and our fear. How wild is that? There's a leader and teacher from China named Watchman Nee who, who puts it this way. To have God do his own work through us even once is better than a lifetime of human striving. I cannot tell you how much I agree with that. To have God use us once, speak through us one time, is worth so much more than a lifetime of human striving. To be honest, and this is true for me, far too often, I try to do things in my own strength, apart from God's power. And Jesus's words to us today are, don't, don't. He says elsewhere, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So how do we actually do this? Well, one great way, and we actually talked about this at length last week, is through the blessed practices. If you haven't seen that message, I highly encourage you to go back and watch it, but here they are quickly. First, we begin with prayer. That's where the power resides. We start by aligning our hearts with God. Then we, we listen. Couldn't our world use some more listening Christians? Right? Paul Tillich said, the first duty of love is to listen. This, maybe just because I'm from a huge family, but this is probably my favorite, eat. This looks different perhaps in a pandemic, but even via Zoom, sharing a meal with others. The, the Jewish desert mother, uh, fathers and mothers had a phrase that said, every table is an altar. Every meal is a sacred opportunity to love others. And then we serve. Once you've prayed and listened and ate with them, you'll know how to serve them. And it's not until you've done all of those things that then we prayerfully share our story with them. And don't share the sanitized bumper sticker version of your story either. Share the messy parts. This is who I was. This is how I met Jesus. And this is how I'm different now. This is how he's doing a work in my life. The most painful parts of your story might be the most life-giving parts of someone else's. But share your story. It's your story to share. Now, remember what Jesus said at the very beginning here, Luke chapter 10, verse two. He told them, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus says we should ask 
the Lord. We should be a people of prayer. If we want to be awakened to the power of God in us, we cannot do it apart from prayer. John Wimber put it this way, prayer is meeting the needs of others with the resources of God. So I'd love for us to do that right now, to actually spend some time in prayer together before God. So I want to encourage you, if it's possible, wherever you're at, put down whatever is distracting you. Get comfortable in your chair. Even if you need to pause the video for a moment so you can make all that happen, get into a place where you're comfortable, you're distraction-free. I want to encourage you to close your eyes and to pray these prayers with me. Here's the first one. Jesus, awaken us to your presence. Help us let go of anything distracting us from your presence so that we can lean into intimacy with you. Just take a moment and pray this to God. Pay attention to any words or thoughts that pop into your mind in the presence of Jesus. Ask that he awaken us to just how much he loves us. The second one is this, Jesus, awaken us to the people you've put in our path. Help us respond to them as you responded to us. This could be someone you've been thinking about a lot lately. It could be someone who hasn't been on your radar at all. Pay attention to the names and faces that come to mind right now as you seek God's direction and insight. Pray for the courage to respond. Third, we pray. Jesus, help us to be a blessing to the people and the places where we have been sent. I'd encourage you to just take a moment or two and pray this prayer to God. Imagine looking at Jesus face to face, simply asking that he move in and through us in power so that more people can find their way back to God. And lastly, Jesus, awaken us to the responsibility of your mission and the power you have given us to carry it out. Hey, Earl, thanks for uh, doing this with us today. Oh, certainly glad to do so, Ian. It's a pleasure. This, this moment is a moment that we've affectionately called a commissioning, and it's not a word that we invented. In fact, there's commissioning language all throughout Scripture, and in a lot of ways, it's, it's a blessing, but it's also it's a sending. It's a sending back out into a world that is in desperate need of, of hope and, and healing, in a lot of ways, to, to awaken to the power of God in their lives. That's what we're saying when, when we commission one another back out into the world. Yes, Ian, and, and we both know that before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave a commission to his first disciples that I believe I would like to give, if it's okay, yeah. to each one of us today. We know it is the Great Commission, and Jesus gave this to the first disciples, and I believe also to us. He said before he left this earth, one of the last things, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I wonder, do we really get that? Hmm. When Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, we need to be awakened to the power that Jesus has, that he's the one that has entrusted us also to carry out this mission in his world, and he's promised to give us the power to do that. But Ian, before we commission all our attenders, uh, I'd love to commission you and Katie uh, for the ministry that you're beheading to in Nashville, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Thank you. Let's pray. I thank you, Father, for my brother in Christ, Ian, and for the gifts for ministry that your spirit has given to he and Katie. I pray that these gifts will be used by them mightily to bless the people at the Bridge Church in Nashville. And today, we as members of Community Christian Church commission Ian and Katie to this ministry with our heartfelt blessing. May they be wildly successful, not for their glory, but for yours. And this we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you, brother. I'd also like to invite you to actually stand, all of you, wherever you are, to just stand. And if you'd be so kind to repeat after me a a kind of a commissioning statement, because we believe that every person is a disciple of Jesus called into some form of ministry. So would you stand with me and and say that? Hmm. We are loved by God. We are loved by God. We are being sent by God. We are being sent by God. To show those around us. To show those around us. To tell those around us. To tell those around us. That they're loved by God too. That they're loved by God too. Let's pray. God, that, that is our prayer. Wherever we're watching from or listening from, God, would you awaken us to your power in our life to bring hope and healing, to help more and more people find their way back to you. God, help us to see our lives as sent people into our families and neighborhoods and communities. God, wherever it is that you have placed us or are placing us, God, open our eyes to the work that you're doing in the world, God. Help us to join the work that your spirit has already begun. God, we thank you and we love you. And we pray all these things in the beautiful and the powerful name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.